Thank you, Becky and the team. Please take your seats. Let's start at the very beginning. With the alphabet you begin with. With singing you begin with. Do, re, mi. Do, re, mi. The first three notes just happen to be. Do, re, mi. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. I've never seen you so energised. <laughs> we may come back to that. Uh, but it's our sixth week looking at the book of Hebrews, and we're in Hebrews 6. So if you'd like to turn to that in your Bibles, we're reading from the New Century Version. And so it's Hebrews 6, and I will read all of it, but it does come on the screen as well, if that helps. So, let us go on to grown-up teaching. Let us not go back over the beginning lessons we learned about Christ. We should not again start teaching about faith in God and about turning away from those acts that lead to death. We should not return to the teaching about baptisms, about laying on of hands, about the raising of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will go on to grown-up teaching if God allows. Some people cannot be brought back to a changed life. They were once in God's light and enjoyed heaven's gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. They found out how good God's word is and they received the powers of his new world but they fell away from Christ. It is impossible to bring them back to a changed life again because they're nailing the Son of God to a cross again and are shaming him in front of others. Some people are like land that gets plenty of rain. The land produces a good crop for those who work it and it receives God's blessings. Other people are like land that grows thorns and weeds and is worthless. It is about to be cursed by God and will be destroyed by fire. Dear friends, we are saying this to you, but we really expect better things from you that you'll lead to your salvation. God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people. And he'll remember that you're still helping them. We want each of you to go on with the same work, hard work all your lives so you'll surely get what you hope for. We don't want you to become lazy. Be like those through faith and patience will receive what God has promised. God made a promise to Abraham, and, there is and as there is no one greater than God, he used himself when he swore to Abraham, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Abraham waited patiently for this to happen, and he received what God promised. People always use the name as someone greater than themselves when they swear. The oath proves that what they say is truth. And this ends all arguing. God wanted to prove that his promise was true to those who would get what he promised. And he wanted them to understand clearly that his purposes never change. So he made an oath. These two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he makes a promise. And he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us who come to God for safety. They give us safe to hold on to the hope we are being given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and strong. It enters behind the curtain in the most holy place in heaven, where Jesus has gone ahead of us and for us. He has become the high priest forever, a priest like Melchizedek. So when you read that chapter, especially at the start, you think, oh, this is quite heavy. There's quite a rebuke there and quite a challenge to the people. 
And as we read this together, we're going to see, well, what specifically for them, what was going on for those people at that time that meant the writer needed to say that, and how does it affect us? We carry on from the metaphor in Hebrews 5 that uh, Roy took us through last week of milk and meat. And Vicky also framed our first week in the series saying that we need to look at how we move on from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. And really challenging us, not just use the preach, but use the books, the Charles Price books, which I know lots of us have been finding really helpful, and thinking, well, what do we need to move further on with God? What's firstly important is we don't look down on the milk, the basic teachings. That's what the writer is very clear to show, that these basics are important, but we need to build on them rather than stay there. It's tempting to read the first three verses and think, my life, this is the basics. They're big, weighty concepts. I don't understand all of these. And they're massive concepts to categorize and understand. And to put them as baby food or basic can really seem mind-blowing. What we need to remember is for that the converted Jews, mainly in Jerusalem, who were reading this, had tremendous scriptural knowledge. They knew what we now know as the Old Testament really, really well. It's part of their childhood to learn and recite the scriptures and chew upon what it meant. The problem was, their mindset was, we've done this now, we get it, rather than moving on. Many of the Jews were quite happy with the basics. The, oh, we understand Christianity, that's it. Joe told me this, and it would be Joe who tells me this, because he's, he's a big fan, that it's Mary Berry's birthday today. And if you don't know, Mary Berry is a very famous English cook. And their approach, the old Jews who were converted, can be likened to somebody who has a basic cake recipe, let's say a Victoria sponge. That's fairly basic, isn't it? So they've got that, and they've got this basic cake that's been baked, assembled, iced many times before. Then the Christianity comes in, so they add a bit to it, a bit of an extra topping. Maybe it's a few hundreds and thousands, you know, the sprinkly bits, some extra cherries, something that changes the final product slightly, but doesn't really go from that familiar cake recipe. It doesn't move them on. It was a simple approach, and they were happy with it. But this chapter is entitled, A Greater Promise. Something that's bigger than just that, a little extra. The writer was talking to people with many different experiences of faith. Yes, it was mainly the converts from Judaism in Jerusalem, but he knew there were people at really different levels. People who were just starting out, or people who'd been on that journey for a bit of a while. A bit like me speaking to you now. In 1975, James Engel came up with a scale. Now, not the scale of music that I sung so beautifully earlier for you. It was a way of representing the journey from no knowledge of God, so it's called like a scale of evangelism, and so somebody at the bottom is somebody who doesn't know anything about God at all, and then it goes up from people becoming a Christian through to spiritual maturity as a Christian believer, 
And as I said, it was from 1975, and the model has been used by some Christians to emphasize the process of conversion and the various decision-making steps that a person goes through in becoming a Christian. Over the years, scholars have debated this and messed around, and most agree that this scale is far too simplistic and has its flaws. For example, I'm sure there are people here going, well, that didn't happen in that order for me, or that doesn't quite work out. It's really important you don't use this as a scale to measure yourself on and go either, oh my, oh, this isn't good, or go, aren't I wonderful? And it's, of course, possible to be on the scale, one thing on the scale without another. So, for example, one version of this has being active in the church quite high up. But actually, you can be very active and part of a church, loving it, without asking Jesus to be in your life and shaping your life. As Theresa May often says at the moment, what is important is that we see there's a progression in faith. She doesn't say this bit, she just says what is important is. <laughs> what is important that we see there's a progression of faith that the writer for the Hebrews is trying to explain to his audience. What have you done with that basic faith when you first had it? Have you moved on? Many people hear the words of Jesus and say, well, I hear it, it's lovely, I enjoy being part of the church, but I haven't made that step of faith. Some people, like what the writer's talking about here, would have a very basic faith. All there are people here who would say, well, I've moved on and moved on, but maybe I'm at a plateau now. I've been a Christian 20, 30, 40 years, but haven't moved on recently. As many of you know, even though I don't like to talk about it, I ran a half marathon a few years ago. Now, I would have put the picture on the screen of me completing it, but there's only so many chins we can put on a screen at once. And so I ran a half marathon, and then I knew I could run distances of 5K, and 10k at a certain time. And from like wheezing around parks in the West Midlands on a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock and taking ages, I could do it a lot quicker. I knew with certain plans and disciplines I could get faster, stronger, be able to cope with the hills. Where I live, there's a massive hill that goes up for about a mile that's brilliant to run up, even better to run down. Because and with my experience, I knew the more I kept going with training, the further I could push on. The problem, and people that were training with me and people that were helping me were like, you could go for this time now. You could go for this. The problem is, I was quite happy with the times. And the standard I did, I was like, I've done a half marathon. I can do a 5K in this. I'm fine. And so my running experience really even though I still go out, is basically where I was a few years ago. I'm not much better, I'm not much worse. Going back to what I started with earlier, is the well-known and well-loved musical, The Sound of Music. And the governess, Maria, spends time teaching her young charges how to sing. And as we say, it's, uh, when you read, it's with ABC, and when you sing, it's Do, Re, Mi. And the alphabet, provides the building blocks for reading. And the scale, 
do re mi fa sol la ti do. So, there's a, a sol there. I don't know where that's gone in. They provide the building blocks for music. Do you agree with that? Few. The writer of Hebrews tells his readers there are building blocks for faith. The early steps, the easy stuff, they help build a foundation for the strong, mature faith. When you master the alphabet, then the entire canon of literature is available. You move from reading Mr. Tickle to reading the great celebrated classics of literature, even though I would still argue that Mr. Tickle is a great classic too. After you master the scale in music, you're able to put notes together in a different way. You move on from singing things like Mary Had a Little Lamb to being able to sing a more complicated aria like Puccini. As you move through the basics of faith, your faith gets stronger, moving you from the simple fact that Jesus loves you to knowing with firm conviction that Jesus is there for you for all the times, from the good times, the bad times, the frustrating times, the difficult times, and the understanding that the Christian's walk isn't always easy, but it takes a mature faith to stay the course. The message version, which is a sort of, it's putting the Bible in a slightly more poetic language. It says this. It's quite stark. So come on. Let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Now straight away, some of us will point to our own limitations. So when I'm using things about music or art, you're going, well, finger painting's probably about my level. Or... I'm never going to be able to get from Merrily We Roll Along on the recorder. That's about my... Because there are certain people who are gifted in certain fields. That's fine. But don't let those illustrations cloud what we're being asked to do here. Some of you who are not Christians or at the start of your Christian journey might find this going deeper incredibly daunting, especially when you're processing a lot you're hearing a lot of things on a Sunday. You're reading things. You're listening to podcasts or UCB or different things. And you're going, whoa, there's so much. I'm loving it. But who? My belief is a lot of this is about mindset and positioning. In previous chapters, we were shown Jesus' example. And Roy reminded us last week of how Jesus, age 12, stayed in the temple. He effectively ran away from the family group because he needed to be in his father's house. Mary helped us understand the position of resting God and not using rest times to switch off, but going deeper in the things of God. So don't worry if you find things tough or confusing. The important thing is where is your heart at? The Bible has got loads of examples of people who were doing the same thing on the outside but the results before God were very different. So Cain and Abel, one of the very early stories in the Bible, they both brought offerings. But God knew that Cain's offering was done with the wrong heart. Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. One, the Pharisee seemed to be doing an amazing prayer, but Jesus knew his heart was wrong. Well, the tax collector is probably 
to those looking around and go, oh, what is he doing? Knew the heart was right. Who remembers the bandolerius? Yeah, who remembers them when they were cutting edge? Yeah, some of you hardcore people as well. They were a band in the probably mid-90s and 2000s, but really when I was sort of 16, 17, 18, not long ago, was it? They were really big there. And they, every so often, they'd a push to get into the, the normal charts, not the Christian charts, the normal one. And what they tend to do is bring the same song out and then try, like, this time we're going to get it to number one and it get to about number 20. And, st and then, was it the best it got to is about number 11, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, that's all right then. But they did a song, this, that really came to my mind when we're talking about going deeper. It's, I want to go deeper, but I don't know how to swim. Now, what I'm not suggesting is we all jump into swimming pools if you're not a good swimmer. What we're saying here is God is there to carry us. God is there when our heart is saying, I don't understand these things, I'm confused. This isn't all about a rebuke chapter. We will see what the greater promise is and what the writer is saying is there for these people who want to go deeper, but maybe they don't know how to swim. The word deep in Webster's Dictionary means, and you're thinking, why are we looking at the word deep? We know what the word deep is, but hey-ho, it's extending far below the surface, descending far downward, profound, opposed to shallow, piercing a great way, not superficial or obvious, hidden, secret, heartfelt, intricate. God wants to take us far below the surface in our relationship with himself. This relationship must not be superficial, as unfortunately these days, so many things are, but heartfelt, hidden, and of great depth. Now, we come to the part that you Bible boffins have been looking forward to. For those of you who don't know, Hebrews 6, 4, verses 4 to 8, is one of the most debated parts of the Bible. Tomes and tomes of writing have been written about it, by people wearing tweed jackets and smoking pipes, or very scholarly people. So it's on the, the screen there. We read it earlier. But there's a debate about this portion of Scripture. And the debate is often called, once saved, always saved. Who's heard of that before? Yeah, yeah. What it's basically saying, is this chapter saying people who have come to faith in Jesus can turn their back on this faith and therefore their, their faith is cancelled out, that they won't experience heaven? And I thought it was really interesting to see what our little study book that we've got, the Charles Price study book, said about this passage as I knew I was preaching on it. And when Vicky gave it to me, I opened it really eagerly to see what does this say. And I found Hebrews 6, and guess what? It's not in there at all. <laughs> Charles Price just doesn't even bother. We have chapter 5, and he goes to 7. Thanks. I feel good about that. Now, <laughs> my view is we can often get bogged down in theoretical debates. But the most important thing is, where are you with your journey with Christ? 
I remember years ago about going to a debate. Um, Kev, did you go to that? Tim Fellows put it on. It was at, um, somewhere over sort of Starbridge Way. And you had different dignitaries in the youth movement of the black country debating once saved, always saved. And most young people were there because they fancied someone and it was a bit sort of, bit deep for them at the time. But I still remember it because I was very holy. But I remember Steve Oppel. Steve Oppel, brilliant speaker. And he said this, he went, why take the risk? Why meddle with things going, oh, I found a get-out-of-jail-free card here? That as a Christian, we should be making sure we're right with Christ and doing everything we can to proclaim the gospel to those around us, whatever we feel their experience of Christianity has been before or after. So, really, you might say this is a bit of a fudge, but my understanding is that many of the Jews converted to, the, to Christianity that Hebrews were writing to felt like it was a thing they needed to do. A bit like a rite of passage, an experience like a tick box exercise. Say yes to Christianity, go through some of those foundational truths that we mentioned earlier that's at the top of the passage, but that's it. We're then going to do our own version of faith. Do what they wanted to do. What made them feel good? What made them warm and fuzzy inside? And what they felt comfortable with? The Message Bible calls this salvation by self-help. And how much is out there nowadays on the internet, on the telly, on all things saying, here's what you do, here's the self-help you need to do to make yourself sorted. And that's what the writer is warning against, doing your own little version of Christianity. This chapter contains really strong words about faith and how we approach God. And I ask you, wherever you are in your journey, to really speak to God and search what it means to you. And also, as a church, we've been doing that, haven't we? We've been going, well, we want to build a community with Jesus as a centre and that's got to be absolutely crucial to any growth that Jesus is at the centre of what we're doing. So what is God saying, challenging, poking, prodding about your relationship with him? Unfortunately, like my relationship with running, often I can be content with where I am with God. I can be happy with the current milk rather than wanting the solid food. Roy mentioned steak last week. And when I heard that, firstly, I did want a steak. So I was, I was quite sort of uh, looking forward to that. But often we can be thinking, well, what do we prefer out of milk and steak? And especially if you said a milkshake was in there. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we can think, well, I'd go for the easier option. Steak can be hard work, especially if my mum cooks it. Don't tell her that. <laughs> Bit chewy. But both milk and solid food have their nutritional value and are important for growth and development. We don't decry our early experiences of faith, but we build on them. Now, intercessors arise came up with these tips for building on foundations and going deeper with God. Thank him for what he's doing in you. 
Live a life of praise and thanksgiving. Choosing to go deeper with God will pay off in the end. Refuse to listen to the devil. Now that sounds so obvious, but how many times have we been taken down by events or words, things that are said to us? Shallow trees can fall in the hurricane. God doesn't want us to be shallow. He wants to strengthen us. And listen to him when he's calling you to go deeper and accept that invitation. The passage talks about Abraham being patient. Be patient and don't complain. Watch your speech and guard it carefully. Be the one who speaks the positive words that bring joy and faith to others. Thank God for where he has brought you from. Thank you for the depth he's developing in your life through the present circumstances. But let him work intricately with your life. And cultivate that holy aloneness with God. We've heard from Vicky and we've heard from Mary about Sabbath, about the rest. Sacrifice in order to give God your time. Look at how you make Jesus central in what you do. Your depth with God is of utmost importance. He knows what is needed. He wants to work intricately with your life. We've heard what deep is. God is deep. And he's inviting us to go deeper into his heart through prayer. Jesus lived on this earth. He knows how strong the winds will be howling in the end times. He's very purposeful in what he's presently developing in life. The devil will say lots to try and distract us. Eat, drink, be merry. Nothing will happen. Live just for today. But God wants to develop us for a purpose. And this root building, going deeper, is beneficial. Often when you're building depth, you can't see what's happening. It might feel that it's just a bit dead and lifeless. But often the opposite is happening. Sustainable life is being built deep where it really counts. I was really blessed by what Roy said last week. You don't know what you can do in God's eyes. Realise that your root development will one day pay off. Now the writer to the Hebrews then changes gear. From being quite blunt and challenging, he shows us that it isn't all up to us. He used the life of Abraham to make the clear point that God's promises to us aren't like a normal promise. They're a promise from God. The hymn writer's Girls Aloud says, The promise I made, the promise I made, started to fade, started to fade. Babe. <laughs> Our promises aren't like... By the way, one of my greatest achievements years ago at Junction 10 was taking a trip to see Girls Aloud and getting it paid on the church credit card. Like... <laughs> We, we still paid our way, but the way I got that past Carol McRoberts was just a moment. But anyway, so, <laughs> did you come on that, Mick? No. <laughs> Fair enough. So, <laughs> anyway, moving on from that, that God's promises are different. These two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he makes a promise, and he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us who come to God for safety. It talks about being anchor for the soul, this promise, short and strong. And this writer shows that this promise isn't a promise that we make to ourselves that can be a bit flimsy. Who is in the cubs, the scouts, the guides, the brownies, etc.? 
Yeah, the very well-to-do people here, yeah? Interestingly, Mary Berry, who, as we said earlier, her, um, she was in the Brownies, and she said about the promise that she made there, she still remembers today as clearly as now she's sort of 150 or something like that. She remembers it really, really clearly. However, I made that promise weekly as a cub and a scout. Have I kept that promise? Don't really know. Maybe accidentally. I can't really... I was trying to think, could I remember the whole words of it? I promised to do my best to do the duty. And I couldn't quite remember it because our Kayla came in it some way and I couldn't remember on what bit it was there. So have I kept it? Not sure. Probably accidentally. But it hasn't been something that I've looked on properly. Who's ever heard the phrase, I promise I won't tell a soul? Usually that means, I, will, I won't tell most people, but I'll tell one other person, otherwise I'll burst. <laughs> yeah, it often means that, doesn't it? It also, in the passage, mentions an oath. And I've had, a, a work in a school, I've had students and young people swear on people's lives saying a greater name than themselves, like it says here, like, I promise you on my mum's life, that often comes up, that they didn't do something. And they're ready in the fact, they're so, so believing it. And you're like, I believe you. Well, you don't, because you've seen CCTV footage showing they actually did it. <laughs> but often we do that, don't we? People swear on certain things. They make promises that they can't keep. God's promises, God's oath, are not shaky or worthless. They're the anchor for us. This greater promise means that it's individuals, and it also means the same for a community with Jesus as a centre. Some boats, because if you don't know, the anchor is to do with boats. Some boats don't put down the anchor. They try and press on. They can do it in their own strength. They rely on the bigness of the boat, their skills and abilities, rather than, because an anchor is a relatively small item, and it can be overlooked. The old hymn says, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? Basically says, what do you put your trust in? It says, will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? Band, if you could come up, please. In conclusion, there's an actual specific type of anchor that can be used. There's a traditional type used to hold steady in times of dock, when the boat's not going anywhere, or storm. However, there's another type called the kedge anchor. Apologies to anyone, particularly seafaring. I'm not nautical, but I am nice. <laughs> the kedge anchor is one that is light. But what you do is you throw the kedge anchor into the distance. It's not one to ground you there. You throw it where you want to go, and that effectively pulls the vessel forward. So two types of anchor, the one that keeps you where you are, and the one that pulls you forward. It doesn't keep you in a holding pattern, it moves you further on. 
we know from what we sing about, what we read, that Jesus is with us in storms. But often we don't think of him pulling us through. Problems is, anchors can be unutilized. Wherever you are in your walk, how do you view God's promise to be that anchor? And what are the promises that God's also said to you? Maybe as a new Christian, maybe recently, do you hold on to those? Are they also the anchors that pull you through those troubling times? The great scientist Michael Faraday was also a Christian. When he lay dying, some journalists questioned him as to his speculations about a life after death. Speculations, he said. I know nothing of speculations. I'm resting on the certainties. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because he lives, I shall also. You can have a wonderful time exploring God's promises and using them as your anchor. God promises a firm foundation on which to build. Let's stand together.